Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> well, hello there. So pleased to see you've returned once again to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker. So glad to be back. Uh, I'm so sorry. I took a, a vacation last week. I uh, wanted to spend some time abroad collecting new pieces for the Curiosity Shop here. And... Uh, I have something very special for you today. We have uh, a curious item. It's a camcorder. It's made by Fisher Price. It was a camcorder. Uh, it came about in 1987, the PXL2000. It was marketed for kids to record low-resolution video and audio on cassette tapes. It only lasted for about a year. There was only about 400,000 units produced, so quite rare, quite collectible. And quite possibly similar to a camcorder used by a character, Jess, in a new Netflix series. So let's pull out the mutoscope and take a look at Archive 81. Now, Archive 81 made its debut on Netflix on January 14th, and I was really excited to hear about this because this is a James Wan-produced series, and anything James Wan touches, I'm always excited about. He, he and Guillermo del Toro, I, I'm always excited to see something they're directing, they're producing, because they've always put uh, different styles, different looks, different feels to their movies, but there's always a, a certain quality to them horror, fantasy, even touches of science fiction that I always really enjoy. So I was really excited to see James Wan's name attached to this. It was developed by Rebecca Sonenshine, who actually did some writing on the series as well. And this is such a, a really interesting series. I, I don't know if this is going to be a one-off limited series. Uh, they set it up to where it could have a another season to it, at least one more season to it. So it's really kind of up in the air. I think it's done well on Netflix uh, this far, so I think we will get a second season out of this. But right now, it's, it's real still kind of murky as to whether this is going to be a continuing series or not. But I was so excited to see that this was coming about and just seeing the trailers was just full of the atmosphere and the creepiness and a little bit of the horror, a little bit of the science fiction. And that's one of the beauties of this series, Archive 81, is that it doesn't just fall into one genre you got the science fiction element to it. You've got the horror element to it. You've got uh, a mystery element to it. And, and of course, drama plays a, a big part in this with the interactions between the characters. So it really doesn't, you can't pigeonhole it into a particular genre. It's very multifaceted, which I, I love a show or a movie that isn't just one thing. It just doesn't have one element or bring one element to the table. It really is something that can appeal to a broad audience because if you like drama, it's going to have drama. Uh, if you like science fiction, it's certainly going to have its share of that. If you like horror and, and some scares and, and a little bit of uh, fright and menace to your, your TV show or your series or your movie, uh, it certainly has that in spades. So I was really interested once I started watching this to see where this whole story was going to go 
And of course, you have such a fantastic cast. Mamadou Achi was the lead in this, plays uh, Dan Turner. He's a conservator or archivist. Uh, it depends what you want to call his job title, but he restores old film. And we, we are introduced to Dan. Uh, he's out on the street buying old VHS tapes. So, you know, he's always on the lookout for old tapes and old films that he can restore that you might find some rare version of a, a movie or a TV show on it. But he actually does this for his profession as well, working for, I believe, a, a museum or a library of some sort. We find out that he lost his family in a fire and he also just got out of a relationship uh, because of both of those things or, or maybe one led to the other uh, he has had a mental breakdown in his past but he seems to have recovered from that and is is doing well working hard and this is where he gets introduced to what kind of comes across as the antagonist or, or one of the antagonists of this this at least this first season of this you don't really feel that way by the end of it what this guy is or isn't is a little ambiguous by the end of it but he kind of comes across as a, a bit of an antagonist at first Virgil Davenport he heads up this company LMG he hires Dan to restore these tapes found at a fire there's an apartment building uh, the Vesser that burnt down in 1994 and he has found these uh, videotapes that he wants Dan to restore so they can see maybe what happened and bring some closure to the family. And of course, this tugs at Dan's heartstrings because Dan lost his family to a fire. So it really was a, a manipulative device because this Virgil Davenport is not what he seems. He knows more about Dan than Dan realizes at the beginning. And Dan is shipped off to this uh, remote location uh, where this facility has all the equipment he needs so he can work seemingly in private, save the uh, work of a bit of a groundskeeper, uh, this woman that we see uh, spotted around the, the property from time to time. But before we meet her, seeing her in the background of shots adds to the eeriness of it all. But Dan starts working on these, restoring these videos, and it is all about this, this character, Melody Pendris, who was staying at the Vesser Hotel or Vesser Apartment Buildings, whichever you want to call it, uh, back in 1994. She was working on a thesis for, for school and decided, and she wanted to do it on this building. And that really is kind of the guise for her to get in there. And uh, she, she believes her mother. Uh, she's adopted and she has this belief uh, due to a letter that was sent to the, the convent where she was found as a baby that uh, her mother is now living at this Vesser uh, apartment building. So she's going to uh, pretend to be doing her thesis. Maybe she is doing a thesis, but uh, she's using that as the guise to get in there and she wants to find her mother, Julia Bennett. And because she's doing this thesis, she's recording everything, kind of an oral history on the hotel. Uh, I think it's it's really a twofold thing. I think she is trying to find her mother. I think she really is doing this thesis on the Vesser uh, apartments and or Vesser hotel. And, and creepy things start happening. There's weird symbols all over the building. She hears weird chanting through the, the ductwork of the building. And Dinah Shahabi plays uh, Melody Pendris. And like I said, uh, these two main characters, uh, Mamadou Achi and Dinah Shahabi, both fantastic actors. Uh, I'm not as 
as familiar with uh, Dinesh Shahabi as I am Mamadou Achi. Uh, he's uh, an actor that I haven't really watched a lot of his work, but I know a lot of his work that he's done. Uh, Black Box is a Amazon Prime movie that I've, I've wanted to watch. Uh, he stars in that, and it's a it's one of those movies that I've really wanted to check out. Just haven't had a chance. Now after seeing this, uh, I really enjoyed uh, Mamadou Achi's uh, performance in this, and it's one of those situations where I want to see him in more things because I really like the uh, the character he he portrayed here. It looks like a, a similar character to Black Box. Uh, I may be wrong on that, but uh, I, I really like his acting style. He conveys a, a, a good amount of pathos. I mean, you really you feel for this character. You root for this character and and him as an actor portraying that. He just does such a fantastic job on that. Dana Shahabi, uh, I'm not as familiar with her work, but uh, she's another actress that I really would like to see more of her because uh, she does a fantastic job as this Melody Pendrous uh, character who we see this whole mystery unraveling. And we're going to kind of talk about some of the plot points uh, of this because it's very, it's complicated in a uncomplicated way. It's not overly complicated, but there's a lot of moving parts with this. So going to go over some of my favorite characters in this uh, before we get into the plot. But we're also introduced in this uh, apartment building to Samuel Spare. Now, he right away has a, a creepy oddness about him and is really kind of set up as one of the other main antagonists, at least in the 1994 timeline. But he's played by Evan Jonike, who, again, is an actor I'm, I'm slightly familiar with. Uh, he was in X-Men Days of Future Past. He played Toad. Uh, he's in another movie that I've wanted to watch, never did, uh, Bone Tomahawk. He's in Nighthouse, a movie that came out in 2020, uh, but it wasn't really released here in the United States until last year, 2021. But uh, regardless, a, a movie I've, I've wanted to watch, and uh, he's in that. So an actor I'm slightly familiar with, and he really plays this part very well. He he can play the, uh, the manipulation of the character. He can play the, oh, I'm a good guy. I'm just here to help you sort of vibe, but still do it with that bit of menace about him, that subtle undertone of uh, I've got other plans for you in type of way. Uh, he just does a fantastic job. Also, he he looks like Alexander Oveshkin for any hockey fans out there from the Washington Capitals, which I hate the Washington Capitals as a diehard Pittsburgh Penguins fan. So it made me like him even less as the character in this because he looked like Alex Oveshkin. But uh, rounding out some of the other cast members, Julia Chan uh, plays Annabelle Cho. She is Melody's uh, best friend who comes to stay with her at the Vesser. Martin Donovan plays uh, Virgil Davenport, one of the kind of antagonists. Comes across as an antagonist at the beginning. Like I said, it's a little more murky waters uh, by the end of the film or end of the series. And then Matt McGorry uh, plays Mark Higgins. That is Daniel's best friend. That's Dan Turner's best friend. Uh, Matt McGorry, if you if you ever watched Orange is the New Black on Netflix, he played the character John Bennett. In like one of the first two, three seasons, he's the one that got the inmate die pregnant. But a good actor. I really enjoyed him in that series. Did not recognize him in this. He's put on a little weight 
Uh, I don't know, probably not for this role, probably just personal light. Hey, I've been there. I am there. But uh, but at any rate, uh, he did a really good job as kind of the, he kind of felt like the guy in the chair sort of character for Dan because Dan is, uh, is trapped, not trapped, but he's at this house, this facility all alone working on these tapes. Uh, there's no self-service, no internet. He has to find a little square land on this property where he can finally get enough bars to call this Mark character. And he has him look things up for him on the internet. They He can leave the property. They do meet and have coffee and whatnot. But, but he's kind of secluded on this property at this facility for the vast majority of this. And then there's a, another actress I, I got to mention. We haven't really talked to her. Actually, I did kind of mention her in the open for this, but we haven't talked about her play in the story yet is uh, Ariana Neal plays Jess Lewis and uh, she is a I think she plays a 14 year old in this I'm not sure how how old she is in real life but uh, she she really was kind of a, a bright point in this cast she just had that youthful exuberance where everybody everybody in this is uh, a little bit uh, broken with uh, a lot of baggage a lot of the protagonists are like that uh, the antagonists are, are very manipulative but Dan especially feels very broken he lost his family he's had this mental breakdown he's gone through this breakup he just has a a quiet sadness about him which uh, really leads you to you know feel empathy for this character right off the bat uh melody pendris is another character she has a bit of a sadness about her uh she's never known her birth mother you know her adoptive mother is a successful documentarian and there's, there's pressure for her to live up to that standard but she also has a uh, history of mental breakdown, and that, I think, leads Dan to be more uh, connected to her. But the search for her birth mother to, to find out why she gave her up really leads the Melody uh, Pendris character to have this sadness about her. But then you get this Jess character, who's this, this youthful young teenage girl, and she's just full of life and a group of characters that are, are troubled in some way or another. And she played the part really well. For, for such a young actress. And I, I've checked out her her filmography and, and she's done some things here or there. Nothing that I've really uh, had the opportunity to see. But uh, but again, uh, much like uh, Mamadou Achi and uh, Dinah Shahabi, I want to see more from Ariana Neal because I really enjoyed what I saw of her in this. And, and like I said, we'll get into what her character brings to the table uh, as we kind of talk about some of the the plots of this. And, and to talk about the plot... Uh, there's really no concise way to talk about it in depth without kind of breaking it up because this story deals with archival footage, found footage. But the thing I like about this is that it's not the typical found footage format for a movie or a show. It's not like the VHS series. Well, I, I know people love the VHS series and I haven't seen all of them. I did watch VHS 94, which is kind of ironic because VHS 94 is all tapes from 1994. And this series on one of the timelines we're, we're talking about is 1994 but it can get a little old when you're seeing everything from the perspective of somebody filming something it, it can get kind of tiresome and it can get to the point where like who who would be filming this right now uh I've had camcorders back in the 90s uh, through the 2000s and and I wasn't recording every little thing like this i know there's probably some people who were but it, it, it can get a little old but the cool thing about this is that we do get some archival 
footage, some found footage views uh, as Dan is is watching these tapes that he is restoring. But then it slips from the found footage style to an actual dramatization of what is going on, what he is watching. So we get a little archival footage, we get a little found footage, uh, we get a little perspective from behind the camera, but then we go into the world that we're watching and see it all play out from kind of the God's eye perspective, which I like that because you got the found footage feel of it without it being all found footage. Now, this story really breaks down into three timelines. We've got the present with Dan uh, recovering this found footage, uh, restoring this found footage, and trying to unravel the mystery that he is seeing unfold before him. We've got the found footage section, the 1994 section, where we see, like I said, and a little bit of found footage, a lot of the dramatization of that found footage. And then we have bits in 1994 that we're seeing portrayed on film from back in 1924. And it all intermingles. And for me to sit here and try and talk about what happens, jumping back and forth between timelines, would just make things very convoluted for this. So for the sake of this podcast, what I'm going to do is break it down by timeline. The stories that we see play out. I'm not going to be too terribly spoilery, but there are going to be some minor spoils. And uh, that's just the nature of the business. So be forewarned, there are going to be some minor spoils. And then at the very end, I am going to talk about the the big cliffhanger ending, which could be a big spoiler, but we'll talk about that before we get there. But really, the 1924 timeline, uh, we find out about this family, the Voss family. There's a sister and two brothers. The sister is Iris Voss. The two brothers, Jonah and Lucas Voss, they live in this, this old ancestral family home and they are obsessed, especially Iris is obsessed with this comet that uh, comes around every 70 years. And they're in 1924, uh, this comet is passing by. The comet is called Karen, uh, which is the, is for the ferryman who ushers people across the river Styx in his boat. When this comet passes by with the right ritual, uh, she's obsessed with opening this portal, this veil between worlds, to let this creature, demon, it's been described as a demon, just been described as a god, Kalego. She wants to bring this, uh, this demon god into our world and have it fill another vessel. And all the footage we see, all of the events we see, in 1924 are her trying to bring about this ritual uh, where you need the blood of a certain type of witch. You need a, a vessel for Kalego to inhabit that is sacrificed and this, this stone statue of Kalego and the right incantation. And as a result of this, this ritual, something happens that the Voss mansion burns down. Now, fast forward some years, decades later, the Vesser apartment building hotel uh, is built on the site of the Voss mansion. And that's where we get into the 1994 uh, timeline, where Melody has, has decided to live in this building to do her thesis on the Vesser and to search for her birth mother. Uh, she is 
introduced to Samuel, who is believed to be running some sort of cult. And she sees uh, some of the cult activities. But it's clear to see right off the bat that Samuel is a master manipulator. And he's a gaslighter. You know, uh, oh, what you think you saw, that's not really what you saw. It's much more benign than that. But the more that Melody looks into this, the more sinister things are, the more of a mystery she has to solve. Until a little bit of a spoiler, it is revealed that it is a cult. He is, although he doesn't like it to be called a cult, the Samuel Spare character is not who he seems to be. And that they are going to try and enact this ritual because 1994, that is 70 years after uh, 1924, and this Charon Comet is passing by Earth again. They're going to try to reenact this spell. And it turns out, uh, a minor spoiler, that Melody is one of these, or actually her bloodline is from this long line of witches. I know, quite convenient, but it all makes sense in the end. And this, this young character, Jess, who Melody has befriended and kind of shown her the rope, shown her around uh, people in the building, Jess uh, and her become quite close. Uh, it's discovered that Jess is going to be this vessel sacrificed to Kalego so that Kalego can possess her and inhabit her, her body. And that whole storyline culminates with the enactment of that ritual, which again, through the things that happen, the Vesser Hotel burns to the ground, which is where we find ourselves in 2021, 2022, whenever this main present day storyline with Dan Turner takes place. But he is watching this archival footage that Melody shot of all the things going on. And he's trying to solve the mystery of what happened at the Vesser and what's going on with this cult and Kalego and his deceased father's involvement in it all. He's using his friend uh, Mark to, to look things up. He's trying to find out the Virgil Davenport character, what his involvement, why is he wanting him to restore these tapes? Is he a part of this cult? Is he going to try to do this ritual again? All the while, he is having these visions. Uh, they come across as dreams, but he's having these visions of Melody Pendris. And you kind of are, are led to believe that it is some sort of communication beyond time and space sort of scenario. He's not just dreaming about Melody. He is actually talking with her uh, somehow. Now, I'm going to talk about the ending, and I can't talk about this ending uh, without being a little spoilery. From, so from here on out, uh, it's going to be quite spoilery. If you if you haven't watched this yet, uh, I would encourage you, you, you probably should watch it before listening to this, but, uh, but if you, you have watched it, uh, we're going to, we're going to dive into some of the, the particulars of this ending and what it means for the future. If there is going to be a second season of this, if you haven't watched it yet, I encourage you to watch it before listening to the end of this podcast. If not, uh, you don't mind spoilers, then, Hey, you know what, uh, by all means strap yourself in because it's going to be a wild ride because the ending of this series was quite quite revealing. I mean, there was a lot of stuff revealed. It was revealed that Virgil Davenport, the Samuel character, is his uh, younger brother. Samuel and Melody were sucked into this this other dimension, this other world where Kalego is the, the ruler and wants people to, uh, to stay there, wants to trap them there. 
uh, I'm, I'm assuming feeding off them. They never really get into the mythos of Kalego and what it means to be stuck in his realm. But uh, Virgil, it's not really clear by the end of it. You think he's, he's, it feels like he's working against Dan or wants Dan's work to serve some sinister motive because the company he runs, LMG, just has offshoots of offshoots and it's very secretive and nobody really knows what it does. And uh, so you don't know what side he's on. Is he trying to bring his brother back? Is he trying to bring Kalego into our world? Is he trying to keep all of that shut down, leave his brother there, leave Kaleko there. Uh, he makes the comment about how there are, are different factions, those that want to bring Kaleko back to our world and those that want to keep that information hidden will do anything to do that. And you don't really know what side Virgil Davenport's on. Uh, he does reference the this group of witches Baldung witches, who we find out Melody is uh, is part of a long line of Baldung witches. We find out the groundskeeper on this piece of land, this this facility that Dan has been working at, is a, a Baldung witch, and is in fact Julia Bennett, Melody's long lost mother. All terribly convenient, but uh, it, it does make sense in the context of what's going on as to why she would be there, why she would be working for Virgil Davenport and what she's doing because at the very end while the the comet is not there uh i it, i don't know if it ever really clearly states but i think the comet is necessary to bring kalego to our world but to just open the portal you need the baldung witch's blood and the incantation opens the portal to this this other dimension and the idea is that they are going to rescue melody dan goes into this other world finds Melody. They're trying to make their escape. They see a door open, a portal open, and it it's very confusing. Uh, I'm still not quite sure what goes down, and, and, and maybe that's a part of the cliffhanger of it. But Samuel comes through this portal, pulls Melody through it, and then we essentially cut to black. We find Melody is at the facility with her mother, with Mark, she is back in, in our world. She is back in 2021, 2022, whenever this is supposed to have taken place. Samuel is nowhere to be found. So where did he go after he pulled Melody through the portal? And where's Dan? Uh, that, those are all questions that uh, that are left. Now, we get one of those questions answered because we find Dan wakes up in a hospital room. He's been out for several days. Keeps asking the nurse, what year is it? And she won't ask her, I'm going to go get the doctor. Uh, we thought you were never going to wake up after the fire. And it's all very, very shrouded in mystery as to where is he at? What fire are they talking about? Uh, he looks at the TV and on the TV, it's MTV News. Kurt Loder is talking about the death of Kurt Cobain, who died in when? 1994. Uh, Dan gets out of the hospital bed looks out the window and we see the camera pan out and pan away from the building him looking out this window and in the window next to his room we see the reflection of the twin towers the world trade center still up so dan somehow is trapped in 1994 
which is, is quite a mind bender because uh, how in the world is he going to get back? What What's going to happen next? And that really is why I think we are going to get a second season of this. I know a lot of people uh, doing reviews and, and critiques of this aren't sure if this is going to be a uh, one-off limited series. I mean, it could be, it could leave you with that kind of cliffhangery uh, WTF ending and then just let the mind wonder as to what's going to happen next. Uh, but they could definitely do a second season. Now, I haven't heard anything specific about whether we're going to get a second season. But like I said, earlier i think this series has done well enough i mean it's been one of the the top watch shows on netflix since it was released so i, I think it's gonna get a second season greenlit which it makes me excited about that because really where do they go from here what uh what is the next step uh how do they get dan out of 1994 like i said uh this series deals with a lot of different genres first and foremost uh it does have some elements of horror uh the occult the the demons uh images of demons coming through screens the nightmare visions and dreams that these characters are having are all all play into the horror aspect but this isn't necessarily a horror series like I said, it does have elements of horror. Uh, this probably, to me, would be more of a sci-fi series because it deals with a lot of time travel and interdimensional communications and different, uh, you know, time and space uh, bending things, uh, communication through time and space, all very sci-fi based stuff. So I would say this is probably a sci-fi series. Uh, with elements of horror. And then, like I said, it has other elements to it, uh, drama. There's a little bit of humor here and there, but uh, just a lot of different things going on with this series. And that's just what made it so interesting to me and drew me to it. It, it drew me to it because I thought this was a, a horror series, plain and simple. I thought it was going to be your typical found footage horror series, but I was going to check it out still. But it turned out to be so much more. The acting was spot on the writing and the story spot on the special effects while it wasn't very special effects heavy i thought the special effects for the most part were really good there was some of the stuff like the image of Kalego in in tv monitors and screened looked a little uh looked a little 1994 to me but but I could look past that because I thought it was really done well enough that it didn't take me out of it. And I love the sound design of this, not necessarily just the score and the the needle drops that they do, but you get some of the sound design in this that almost had that kind of warbly warped tape kind of warble to it that you get with uh, cassettes and uh, VHS tapes that kind of uh, the music kind of, kind of does that little warble to it. They had that in the sound design, which uh, which I thought was just brilliant. When you're talking about you know watching VHS tapes, restoring them, you're talking about 1994, and I just think it all worked really well. And it left it on uh, such a cliffhanger that it, it left me wanting more. I wanted this series to continue. I want to see what happens to Dan. 
uh, who's stuck in 1994. It felt very much like the end of season one of Castle Rock on Hulu. And what happens to Melody now that she's reunited with her birth mother? You've got Mark, whose best friend is gone. What is he? What are they all going to do to to rescue Dan? And and what about Samuel or whatever his name is? He's got multiple aliases in this. So uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff to uncover there. Uh, Virgil Davenport, Samuel's brother. You know what? What is his role in all this? Because I think he has a bigger part that he's playing. And of course, you know what? What happens when? These factions that uh, that Virgil mentioned, the people that want to bring Calego uh, about and bring him into our world, and those that want to keep him from coming here, and they'll stifle anything that uh, could possibly bring him about. Uh, what happens when these two factions clash? Uh, there's just a lot. The mythos of Calego is is really something that I think they just scratched the surface, just barely scratched the surface on. There's a, a deep well of things you could do with that. So really, uh, for a show that I thought, okay, this is probably just going to be a one-off limited series, I really, by the end of it, I thought they could do a couple, at least two more really good seasons of this. I I don't think it's going to be one of those shows that just goes on forever. I think it's a show that uh, if they do it right and have a finite number of, we're going to tell this story in X number of seasons and plan it out, plot it out, uh, every detail. I, I think this could be a really good series with, like I said, at least two more really good seasons, maybe, maybe four. I don't know. I mean, there's, like I said, there's a lot of information and a lot of characters to dive into that they just barely scratched the surface on in this, this first season of archive 81 and I'm looking forward to more of it. Plus, uh, a lot of it was filmed in, <laughs> at least uh, the conclusion of the film happened in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which uh, I'm always I'm always down for that. like to see Western Pennsylvania represented in filming. So all in all, I really loved Archive 81. It was everything I wanted it to be and more. It was more than I expected it to be. And uh, I got to chalk that up to everybody involved from the directing to the writing, uh, James Wan producing. It was up to the standard that I expect from something that James Wan is involved with. The, the acting was just out of this world. Like I say, Mamadou Archie and uh, Dana Shahabi just hit it out of the park with their characters and, and all the other characters as well did spectacular jobs. So uh, this really was a fantastic series more than I ever thought it was going to be. And makes me so excited to see if they're going to do something else somewhere down the line, because I think there's a lot of, a lot of uh, great uh, storytelling to be tapped into with this whole idea and everything they set up with this first season. So I want to thank everyone for tuning in and hearing my thoughts on Archive 81, the new Netflix series. Check it out if you haven't. If you have uh, and you're like me, you might even just want to watch it again. See if there's anything else I missed. I really enjoyed this and look forward to more in the future. Uh, Anytime we hear what's going on with the future of this, you can find that all on our Facebook fan page, Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop on Facebook, where we're posting trailers uh, from TV shows and movies coming out, uh, all sorts of news, uh, trying to find articles that uh, pertain to the horror, fantasy, and sci-fi that we love. You can find it all there on our fan page. 
So check that out. And wherever you're listening to the podcast, uh, please share it, subscribe to it, download it, leave a review. Five stars would be awesome. But whatever whatever you leave us as a review, we certainly appreciate your feedback. And like I said, uh, share this with anybody you know that loves horror, fantasy, and sci-fi. So until next time. Thank you for visiting Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. We hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Ha 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 ha!